Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Take your Bible or your phone, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. While you go there, let me take you back for a moment just to give some words and give perspective, all right? When we started last week, I basically was just trying to build almost a frame of reference so we could be on the same page as we move together. And here are the three words, eternal, external, internal. The world, we, this is the, the, the place you go when you need ultimate truth or you need authority or, or you just want to make sure you're doing the right thing or on the right path. So if I've got a question and, you know, it's a situation I've never dealt with, I've got three choices of how I respond to it. One is internal. Just do what my heart says. Well, I have a little concern there because I know my heart. <laughs> and and <clears throat> the Bible says my heart is deceitfully wicked. And by the way, yours is too, so don't look so religious looking at me like that. Some of you said amen when I said that. So I, I can't go to my heart. But the world will tell you, oh yeah, just follow your truth. Stay in your lane. All right? Second place we can go is external. In other words, you can, you can get feedback from your friends, get feedback from the world around you, or you can spend all night on TikTok and, and get all the answers to everything, right? I didn't know you could even learn to cook watching TikTok. I mean, everything is social media driven in our world, and so you can get a lot of perspective. The other option, man, I need something bigger than me. I need something bigger than this world and this culture, and I want to transcend all that. That's the eternal. And I can tell you that without a shadow of a doubt, this book represents what we know and what I have chosen to believe as a word from God. This book says that the worlds will pass away, but not one sentence will fail out of this book. So for me... That's the source of truth, the eternal. Now, we hear him from not just his word, but through his Holy Spirit that, that is available to us and lives in us, if you are a believer, <clears throat> and so we'll show you the way. And this is a dialogue that you can have with friends or really with anybody. So the error is pointing down to say that, that ideally, a biblical way to respond to qu tough questions, start with the eternal you then go external. But if the external is in conflict with the eternal, guess who wins? Look who's sitting on top. <laughs> and the same thing with internal. So if we do that as we walk through this, you're going to see in chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, that principle is how Paul is answering. He's not answering it as a Greek. He's not even answering it as a Jew. He is answering their questions as a person who was a murderer at one point, saved by the grace of God, and was in love with Jesus. And that was his world. And so he doesn't hold anything back. He wants to speak from the eternal. 
Now, let me, uh, <clears throat> let me just say this. I know a lot of you that are on this stream or in this room, either you or you have friends that this, these are very difficult subjects because maybe you have different views and you don't see things that necessarily the way that, that I'm going to present them. I want you to do something. I, I want you to give us a chance. And I want you to be open to what God may want to say. Here's my biggest frustration with the church. We don't look like the king we serve. The, the choir in the first service sang this song. It's called, My King is Known by Love. L listen, to, these are the lyrics. Some are known by great authority for kingdoms as far as the eyes can see. Some in royal robes that rule from thrones, waging war, they overthrow the weak, and they call it victory. But my king is known by mercy. My king is known by grace. For the hope in his name, he is the power that saves. My king is known by love. You see, I don't think the world sees that king when they look at the church today. They see a king of hate. They see a king of judgment. They see a king of people who don't know how to have a, don't know how to have a conversation where there's disagreement. And they see anger. And my prayer is as we walk through this, they will see that we believe in a king of love. And love and truth have this beautiful position in our life. Jesus came, and John's gospel says in chapter 1, he was full of grace and full of truth. They are not adversarial to one another. You can hold beliefs, and you can hold a standard that you believe is eternal, and you can do it in love. You don't look like Jesus when you're angry or mad or you treat people like dirt. You look like Jesus when you love them. And so keep in mind, that's what Paul is going to talk about. That's his orientation. So I want to, I want to give you a warning. I want to encourage you, please don't walk out. Don't turn off the string. Just let God work. Just be open. Try to, try to let God and even if you don't even know God, you, you, you may not even be a Christian. You're just kind of feeling this thing out and trying to figure out everything. Man, thank you. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, if I should offend you with anything other than the truth, please forgive me. If I, if I offend you with the truth, may God show you truth. And I know that I'm capable of doing the former. <laughs> Because there will be things that come out of my mouth probably that were more out of emotion than out of his word and truth. So I think it would be a good time for some of you that are close to me pray <laughs> that the Lord will make sure that happens. So whenever I talk about the Corinthian church, let me show you Paul's orientation. It's a diagram because I'm a visual learner and many of you are visual learners and it helps us to get it. Here is how he thinks about the church. Church is here, world is there. Basically two groups that Paul deals with, even in his day, same groups we deal with, church and world. Now, when he writes letters like this one, 
He's writing to encourage the church. The first thing you've got to know is that all that we're reading is out of love. It's out of love for the church. It's out of love for you, okay? And in the church, there are positions. Some come as leaders. Some come as members. Some come as attenders, all right? Over here, the world, Paul's focus is always the same. Evangelize, which is a word for let them know about Jesus. Make sure they hear about Jesus. Make sure they know Jesus. Now, what we're going to run into today, what we're going to confront is this. One of these was living a life he didn't need to be living. And so you're going to hear Paul say, well, you need to move him over here. Because it's over there he will come to salvation and he will come to repentance and he will come to restoration. So in Paul's mind, and that's oversimplification, I'm sure, that's how he's thinking, okay? It could have been a leader, could have been a member, could have been an attender, but still the same. Paul wants to say, hey, what you need to do is you need to put them out because it's going to save them. I'll show you what he means. Let's read together. I'm going to start in verse 1, chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather mourn? And let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, let's, let's just pause there for a minute. The first thing the church has got to hear in this, we know better. Why would the church not know even what the pagans know? The pagans wouldn't have tolerated that arrangement. So why in the world would the church? And, and let me give you a quote for that. Cicero is a Roman statesman. He lived 100 years before Paul. So Cicero's not talking about this case. He's talking about another one. And Cicero actually said about a woman who was married to her son-in-law or or stepson. This is what he said. It's unthinkable. It's unheard of. In all my experience, I don't know of one single instance. That's a Roman statesman. So what Paul is saying is even outside the church, this is questionable. Church you know better because you have the Word of God. We know better because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We know better because we've received grace. And grace doesn't make you perfect. We're not about to stand up and say, yeah, we're the perfect. No. Grace doesn't make you perfect. It just makes you broken when you sin. You realize that Man, this isn't right because you have the Holy Spirit in you saying, this is not where you live. This is not who you are. So the first thing he says is, come on, guys, you you know better. Then he describes the sin. And I'll go back to the text. There's one phrase in verse 1, a man has his father's wife. Now, that's all we know. But the verb has and the tense of that verb in Greek tell us this was not a one-night thing. It was not just a one-off, and they had a fling, they were at a family reunion, got frisky. No. 
That is not what this is. This is, they had each other. It was continual. It was repeated, okay? And so basically, the question then, well, who were they? We don't know names, okay? I'm going to ask the questions as I move us through the text. The what, the when, and the why. But the last thing I want to tell you, and that's why you cannot leave today, don't cut the stream before it's over. The last is, what if? I've never heard a sermon on anything about this guy other than get the people out of the church that are living like that. Throw him out. Have you ever heard what happened to him? Have you ever heard what happened in the end? No. But I'm going to show you what happened. And I'll believe it till the day I see this man in heaven. Because I believe he'll be there because of what Paul wrote in the second letter to the Corinthian church. So anyway, hang on to that. So the what is, we've got a problem. We've got a, we've got a really bad case of immorality. Let me, let me just bring up, I think he was a leader. Let me tell you why. Did you notice, did any of you catch the woman is never mentioned? Paul says nothing about the woman. He doesn't say anything about we need to put that woman out. That ladies, did any of y'all catch that? There's nothing about the woman. You know why? If I know anything about the Apostle Paul, he understands that men are called to lead. Men are called to be men. And you know what? I am really tired of living in a culture that when there's an affair, when there's something that happens, the blame is placed at the feet of women. Guys, grow up, put your pants on, and be a man, and own it. Don't blame her. It's a part of creation, and we'll talk about that later, but it's interesting that Paul didn't even mention what to do with her. Some believe she wasn't even a member, but still, it doesn't matter. I think this guy was a leader. I think he was well-known. And so basically, the word that you're going to see that Paul's going to use about this is the word pornea. Now, when you hear that, it's the Greek word. What comes to mind? There you go. Porn, pornography, pornographer. I had a real close friend of our family one time, and <clears throat> she was going to a wedding and was a family member, and her grandmother was all excited. And her grandmother told us that, oh, it's going to be a great big wedding. They've got a pornographer coming to take pictures. And <laughs> I think that's photographer. I'm not sure, but I think you're saying photographer incorrectly. Yeah. So what does the word mean? It's a big word. It's used 25 times in the New Testament. It is the catch-all for any sexual activity outside of God's design. Okay, it's a catch-all. I know we want to just go after one group. We want to go after homosexuals, or we want to go after incest, or we want to go after this, or go after that. Look, it's a term that applies to every one of us. You ever looked upon a woman with lust? Or it talks about you. You ever had thoughts that you entertained that were not appropriate? about a relationship outside of God's design for your life sexually, well, then you ought to know what the Word is. See, it's the big picture, all right? When God designed us, He designed us in a way that we would be absolutely blessed beyond measure with a gift called sex. 
Sexuality came from God. It wasn't created by a church convention somewhere. God created it, and He designed you in such a way so that anything outside of that design is hurtful to you. I didn't say it wasn't fun. Let me make sure you understand this. Sin is fun for a little while. And stuff outside of the design, yeah, it can be really fun or really entertaining or real enticing, but it is a death trap. And why? Because it hurts you, God's creation, and the way you were designed. You remember I mentioned a statement in our Statement of Beliefs online. It's, it's been there. You can go see it. It's under the category of about us and all. It basically says that God intended for a man and a woman to be together in, in marriage for a lifetime. And that biblical sexuality is when that is expressed, sexuality is expressed within the context of that marriage covenant. Anything else outside that? Nope. So, Pastor, you're saying it's wrong to have premarital sex? Yep. You're saying it's wrong to look at pornography? Yep. You're saying it's wrong to be married to the same sex? Yep. Be married or just have relations with the same sex? Yep. Bestiality? Yep. Oral sex? Yep. There is a movement among some Christians who want to say, oh, it's just talking about intercourse. No, it isn't. Oral sex is sex. It's outside of God's plan if it's outside the marriage covenant. So in other words, it's just an all-inclusive term. Listen, when God created you, He created you for a relationship that could be enjoyed. And you're going to learn this in, in chapter 6. We're going to walk through it together. God did not create you to live like your pet, your dog. You can't have multiple relationships and expect it to work the way God designed it. You can't play outside the boundaries and expect everything to be just fine. No, it isn't. If God had wanted you to live like Fido, he would have put a tail on you. He didn't. He made you in his own image. And so everything about life you find in that unique relationship that we are created in God's image. So kind of keep that in mind as Paul's working through this because that's what he's using as the backdrop. So here's a church that has it going on in the church that's not appropriate at all. And then he says, not only is the sin sick, but your response is even sicker. Look at verse 2. And you are arrogant. <laughs> are you not rather to mourn? In other words, is that the word that we want describing us when we see something that's so broken out of God's design? No. He said, guys, you ought to be weeping. You ought to mourn. Now, I know this sounds far-fetched, but I promise you it's the truth. This year, in a church, not in town, because I don't want you trying to figure out who this is, not in town, a real close friend of mine, Rachel's father, my father-in-law, who is with Jesus, he was the physician for the family, and so I've, we've known him for a long time. Great guy, pastored in Florida, tremendous pastor. He retires and goes to the mountains, and a church called him to be their pastor. Man, he said it was great. And then he realized the worship leader was having an affair with one of the ladies in the choir. 
And not only did he find out, it was all over the church. It was well known. So he went to the chairman of the personnel and said, we, we need to do something here about this. This, this is not appropriate. And, and the guy said, yeah, we, we need to investigate. And then they went to the chairman of the deacons, and he said the same thing. Yeah, we need to investigate. Can I tell you, at the end of the story, the church voted the pastor to leave, not the minister of worship, who's having an open affair. That's a church. It's shocking. So Paul said, how can you be proud of this? It, it, it ought to, you ought to mourn. And then he gives them instructions. So go back to the text, verse 3. Remove, or at the end of verse 2, let him who's done this be removed from among you. For though absent in this body, I'm present in spirit. As, as if present, I'm already pronouncing judgment on the one who's done such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So basically what Paul is saying is discipline is always for salvation, not condemnation. Discipline in a church setting like this, which is what he's describing. The goal is always, well, we got him. No, the goal is that he might be won back to Christ. And that's how Paul breaks this down. He says, put him outside, again, I think he was a leader, so that Satan will destroy his flesh. I want you to look at this, this verse. This man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved. Okay, you know what this word is? It is the word for your selfish nature flesh. How many of you, if you only did in life what you feel like doing, how many of you would go to work this week? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Now, we don't do what we feel like because there are things we just do because we need to do it. It's right. When your flesh calls the game, you just do whatever you feel like. And that is going to destroy you. But out of the incredible grace of God, our king is known by mercy. So what does he say do? Let Satan destroy that selfish desire by bringing this man to a broken state. Because in brokenness, he will turn to Jesus and be saved in the day of the Lord. So the whole point of this is, and by the way, isn't it interesting Paul said you can't save this guy. Jesus can. We just need to remember that. You're not the answer to the world. You know the answer. His name is Jesus. So let this man go after what his heart desires. It's the hardest thing for a parent to ever do that. It's the hardest thing for anybody to let somebody follow their heart and let them go after something that you know is going to hurt them. I sat in my living room, not here again, not here, sat in my living room on Christmas Eve one night at midnight listening to a guy tell me that uh, he really had found somebody else he loved and he really liked her and he was going to divorce his wife and kids and he was going after her. I looked at him and I said, you're coming to the brink of utter ruin. He said, what do you mean? I said, you, if you keep following this, what you're feeling, you're going to end up losing everything. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your business too. He said, oh no, man, that's not going to happen. I said, okay. Guess what? He lost everything everything. And then 
He turned to Jesus because he had nothing left of the flesh, and he needed Jesus, and he became one of the greatest disciples. I mean, one of the most awesome guys. I've seen that happen over and over and over again. Pray for somebody when they're off the track. Pray that their flesh will be destroyed. That's selfish will. Paul David Tripp, but Rachel and I had a chance to spend time with Paul David Tripp at a conference we were at this week. And let me tell you, if you ever get a chance to hear him, you can read him because he's got stuff. He's a writer. He's out of um, Philadelphia, I think. He's unbelievable. That's one of the most brilliant people I've ever been around, the most godly and humble. And he says that sin is not just doing something wrong. It starts with worshiping something that's not right, meaning your flesh. So when you're letting flesh make the decision, you're going to end up at a really bad place. But by prayer, you're going to turn to Jesus, and it's going to change your life. In fact, he said it this way, Paul David Tripp, since sin is deeper than just bad behavior, trying to do better isn't a solution. Only grace that changes the heart can truly rescue us. And sometimes you have to have everything taken away from you before you realize, I need Jesus. So basically, that's what he's saying. He's saying, go ahead and put this guy out and watch what happens. And by the way, hang on. That's exactly what happened at the end. So that's the, that's the what. The question why, I mean when, when do you do this? <laughs> the sooner, the better. So the next verse is he says, guys, you need to do this now. How many of you have ever found that for an awkward conversation, the longer you put it off, it gets easier? Let me see a hand. I've never found it to get easier when you put it off. You have to deal with it. You know why? Listen, I had to learn this the hard way. Your sin isn't affecting just you. It's killing the people around you. And we think that sin is a very personal thing, individual. I can do what I want. I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. And you don't realize it. Every man I've ever talked to to excuse an affair he had told me this. Well, I wasn't hurting my family. I was just doing something for me. No, you hurt your family. And so Paul's saying, you got to deal with it. And so here's what he's using, the principle of influence. And do you know what analogy he draws? Leaven. Let me just tell you the story quickly. We'll read it, and then it'll make sense. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, but with the, le the leaven of malice and evil. It's gone, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." Leaven was what you used to make bread rise. Am I right, those that bake in here? Leaven is what makes the bread rise. On the night before they were delivered from Egypt, when the children of God were in Egypt and they were being held captive, he said, I got a plan. Moses shows up. And the night before they left, they were to cook a meal that had elements in it to remind them of the deliverance they were about to experience, and one of them was unleavened bread. Why unleavened? Because you don't have time to let the bread rise. You don't have time. You're getting out of here, so it's going to be flatbread tonight, is basically what God was saying. 
And that carried over into the tradition and the memorial that every year the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as Passover. And that leaven was a picture of that night that we got rid of leaven because the Lord was about to do something great. So often, not always, leaven is used as influence. If you leave a little bit of leaven in the lump, what does it do to the whole lump? Leaven's the whole lump. It's just a principle of cooking, okay? He's saying, you got some leaven. And he said, you're, not leaven, you're unleavened people because why? Christ was your Passover. Jesus set you free. He delivered you from your Egypt. And guess what? He delivered you from malice and evil to sincerity and truth. So go ahead and get the leaven out. And watch what God does. That's the when. The why. Why is Paul telling them this? Why is he having this conversation rather than just let it slide? And Because the mission matters. The mission of the church matters. Paul did not want anything in the church of Corinth to be a black mark on Jesus or make it difficult to win people to that gospel that changes lives. If the church is messed up, the only thing the world can conclude is that we got a Jesus that's messed up. So what he was trying to say is, you have a witness. And so then Paul gives some incredible advice, and I want you to, to read it with me. This starts in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, that sounds like Paul has written another letter. He did. In fact, you know how many letters we think he wrote to the Corinthian church? We have two, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We think he wrote four letters, maybe five. And you're looking like, man, that's, that's tough. No, it didn't. How many of you have ever had a child you had to send more than one message to him? Let, let me see your hand. Okay. Now you know what Paul was dealing with. I mean, four letters is not too much, five letters. So he said, I've already written to you about this. Don't associate with sex anymore people. I know the first reaction of the church today is, uh-huh, I told you. You don't need to have those people out there in this church. You don't need to let those sexually more or hang out with them. Hold your horses. You got a surprise coming. He's not talking about the sexually immoral out there. He's talking about the sexually immoral in here. So before we start judging out there, we got a little cleanup work on aisle three. I mean, we have some issues in here. Watch how he says it. He says, now, I don't want you to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. I mean, you'd have to move off to a mountain somewhere. You, got, you can't do that, and you don't need to. you got a mission. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Don't even eat with one. Man, you're like, good night. Yes, that's exactly what he said. The word associate in Greek is a word that means they're your posse. You understand what that word means? They're your close friends. You, you, you're all mixed up. In fact, exactly the Greek word to be mixed up with something. You're all mixed up with them. Who are they? They're in the church. 
Is it somebody that maybe just has looked at pornography one time and you, no. It's people who are proud of it. Remember the guy and the whole idea that, that instead of being mournful, they were arrogant about it? It's people who see no problem. I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to play around every weekend. I can walk with one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world. No, you can't. Because you do harm to the name of Jesus. He says, don't you associate with somebody if they are causing people to question the name of Jesus. And he makes a list. Adult, I mean, the, um, the immorality is just one of them. Look at the, the next one, greed. That's people who just love money more than anything else. Reviler is one I always go, or idolater. That's just somebody who puts God in the place that, I mean, doesn't allow God to have his rightful place. You put something else in his place. You know what reviler means? Reviler means somebody stirring up trouble. Like people that make videos that are lies. Anyway, uh, drunkard. Drunkard. What, what is that? What's somebody that they're dependent on something? I mean, they are constantly in a, under the influence of something else. And what about the swindler? You know what that is? Now, this again, inside the church. Spiritual bullies. That's a spiritual bully is the best way I'd translate that. And what he's saying is, you don't need to get all wrapped up with them because they're giving the church a bad name. And they're giving Jesus a bad name. And then he says, and by the way, when it comes to the world out there, quit judging them. Look at the last few verses. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So here it is. Hey, church, quit judging them out there. If we spend as much time witnessing to our world as we do judging our world, our world could come to Christ. Don't judge out there. God deals with that. You start where you go to church. And by judge, he just means discern and make sure that the Spirit of God is being honored and obeyed. And when Paul gets to the end of this, he's just, it's perfect. He said, and by the way, put the guy out. What a lesson for the church. Guys, instead of worrying about them out there, let's just make sure our lives are represented. And guess what? And let's do it with love. Our king is known by love. So what happened to this guy? Let me show you a couple of verses, and before I show them to you, can I just appeal to you? If the church would learn to give people time to come to Christ, time to realize that they've messed up their life. The story I told you about a guy that I knew, it took a long time. You see, we always want things instantaneous. We want things to happen quickly. I don't know how long it was from the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to when he wrote 2 Corinthians about this guy. I don't know how long a period of time. I just know this. We are impatient. We ought to just let God do what God does and give him time to do it. And it's amazing what God will do. Don't give up on somebody. Don't give up on yourself. You may be that person and you're like, man, I, I've, I've been trying. It's just not working. Don't give up. Let me show you the what if. What if we loved like he told us to? What if we lived like Jesus? What if we were to be the example? Here's a couple of verses. 
This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I really think this is the guy. He's talking about the guy. In fact, most New Testament scholars believe, I'm not the only one, and they believe Paul is referring directly about this guy that was to be kicked out of the church. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to what? Say it with me. Forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by your excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. What a beautiful call to the church. Yeah, we got our problems and we got some messes, but oh my goodness, learn that our king is known by love and mercy. Love them. Pray for them. And then this verse, chapter 7. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were aggrieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Most believe that is directly about the guy and that he came to repentance and he came back to the church. That's the what if. What if we live that way? What if that describes us as a church? Yes, we stand for truth and we hold the truth high, but we do it with grace and with commitment to the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do to change lives. I want you to bow with me for just a moment. Is there somebody right now that you're thinking of that they've wandered away from the faith, they've kind of left the church. Would you just pray for them right now? Is there someone in here that this is for you? God just is saying to you right now, you need to come home. You don't need to live like that. I got a better design. I got a better plan. Is there anyone in this room that's never put your faith and trust in Christ? If you're on this stream and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's where it all starts. That's where you find home. Because He created you. He made you. And He's got an awesome life ahead for you. I just want to pray for you. Lord, whatever category... We thank you. We sit under your word. We don't sit over it. We're not above it. Lord, we will submit to truth and obedience to exactly what you spoke to us today. So help us, Lord, to practice this and live this way. And Lord, I just thank you for the story. One day we'll be in heaven and we'll get to meet this guy. And we'll get to meet some of them in that church. Thank you, Lord. May we always make you look good. You don't need our help, but sometimes we live in ways that bring pain and hurt to you. So help us to show the world our King is known by love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you for hanging in there, for being here this morning. 
for bringing whatever it is just to listen and to learn next week. We're in chapter 6. What you might want to do this week, just to kind of let you know where we're going, count all week long how many commercials on radio or any medium, how many commercials about how to sue somebody. God bless you. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week, all right? See you. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.